So in 160 B.C., Judas Maccabees entered the temple in Jerusalem, began cleansing it. He had been with his father and others. They had been a seven-year revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes. He was part of when Alexander the Great died. Antiochus Epiphanes was part of the ruling class, and the world was divided into four groups. And the group that had over, was over Jerusalem were called the Seleucids, and they wanted to bring Greek religion and Greek culture and eliminate everybody else. We're all going to be Greek. We're all going to worship the way of the Greeks. And some of the priests in Israel went along with it, but Judas and Matthias Maccabees would not. In 160, after a seven-year revolt where Antiochus Epiphanes was slain and they, they finally took over Jerusalem, they walk into the temple. They walk into the temple and for the first time begin to cleanse the temple. Antiochus Epiphanes had done horrible things. He had literally slaughtered a pig on the altar of God. As they searched through the temple, they, they knew they needed to light the lamp of God, a menorah. It was to be lit day in and day out, according to the book of Exodus. They found enough oil, as per the law, cleansed to light it for one day. And they lit it. And miraculously, for eight days, the lamp of God continued to burn until they found other oil. And Ty, uh, Judas... Maccabees said that from this point on, on that time, they would celebrate the festival of the dedication of the temple for eight days. And that has been a festival that has continued up until now. In fact, it just ended on Friday. You know it as Hanukkah. So why do I tell you that story? How does it relate to our passage today? Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. In fact, we're going to be in John 10 today. I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 10. And in verse 22 of John 10, it says that it was the time of the festival of the dedication of the temple, and Jesus was there. One of the interesting things about the festival of Hanukkah are some of the readings from the Old Testament. And one of those areas in the Old Testament that's included in the readings of Hanukkah are from Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel th chapter 34 talks about the Lord being Israel's shepherd. And Ezekiel 34 carries God's condemnation of the leaders of Israel who became false shepherds, who were looking out only for themselves. And the events that led to the revolt, which ended in the Jews capturing the temple that we just talked about, brought proper worship, restored worship that was not being done by the leaders. So reading Exodus 34 became an annual tradition as this is the way that people should lead. These are the leaders of God. This is who they are to be. As we consider life after the manger, one of the questions that we should always be asking is a simple question that can be glibly answered, but we ought to consider it, and it's simply this. Why did Jesus come? Don't be so quick to just pass that off. Think about it very carefully. You see, anyone who heard Jesus speaking, as recorded in John 10, knew some things, and he was telling them why he had come. Anyone who heard Jesus speaking in John 10 may have known that he was making reference to Ezekiel 34. Listen to just three verses from Ezekiel 34. 
verses 1, 2, and 3. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. Maybe they were aware that he was also referencing Isaiah chapter 40, verses 10 and 11 that read, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. In John chapter 10, Jesus makes two of his seven I am statements. And one of those is, he says, I am the good shepherd. As Jesus is speaking in John 10, he is referencing and having those people think back to what the wrong shepherds are in Ezekiel 34. When Jesus references shepherds, he's not just using a warm, fuzzy imagery. He is claiming to be the one spoken of in these prophecies. He is the shepherd. He is, and as the shepherd, as the good shepherd, he is claiming that he is also God who's come to rescue them. In the ancient Near East, the shepherd was a strong, sturdy individual. The shepherd would literally do anything for their flock. The ancient Near Eastern shepherd was vital to the economy. And yet, he also sacrificed because having been out in the fields with the sheep so often, they were mainly, largely ceremonially unclean just due to the nature of the work. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I will do anything for the flock. Prior to describing himself as the good shepherd, Jesus used another word picture the other I am statement in this passage. And in John chapter 10, verse 7, he says, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Now, that's a strange word picture for us until we understand a little bit about what's behind it. In the wild, when you were not close to home, there would be makeshift sheepfolds, stones piled up, largely in a square or a circle, and on the top of those stones would be lots of briars and brambles and stuff to try to keep the wild animals out. And the sheep could only go in and out one way. And once they went in, the shepherd would position himself in that entrance. As a, in a sense, the shepherd was saying by his presence there to the sheep, nothing comes in here but through me. You know, no, a wild animal comes, that wild animal has to get through me. If a robber comes, he has to get through me. That, we, we've heard that imagery used before. The big brother tells the neighborhood bully, you mess with, if, you, if you think you're going to mess with my little brother, you're going to come through me first. You know, today, some of us will turn on the TV and we'll watch football. And there is the offense and there's the defense. And the offensive line, and these are big guys, two, three hundred pound men that are light on their feet, which is a really amazing thing of athleticism. But in a sense, they're saying to the defense, you have to come through us before you get to the quarterback. And so Jesus is saying, I am the gate. You know, in fact, uh, when our daughters were young, 
we told them that if any young man wants to invite you out on a date, he has to come and see dad first. Power is an elixir. (laughs) I remember one young man came into my office, and at that time I had the Resolute desk. I mean, it was a great big old desk. It was uh, one of the, I mean, just huge. And he sat over on the other side of my desk and he stammered and stuttered and I wasn't too hard on him. But it was just that idea that, you know what? You got to come through me first. Jesus reminds us that he's the gate. He is the opening through which we enter and come into relationship And at the same time, he's the protection from that which would do us harm. What's common about these word pictures is that within the boundaries of protection, there is life and there is freedom. You think about it. You think that sheepfold, that's small. But in that sheepfold, there's safety. In that sheepfold, that's where life is. In that sheepfold, that's where you're protected. In John 10.10, Jesus says another statement that's very important that we're going to explore today. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came so that they, us, can have life and have it to the full. Jesus did not come just to give his life. Jesus came to give us life. Abundant life. That word full means abundant. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, if we leave everything in the manger, the manger alone, the birth of Jesus alone may give us warm feelings, but it will not give us a full or abundant or even a meaningful life if everything is left there. The real work begins after the manger. And in this passage, Jesus is clear about a couple of things. One, he is clear about his willingness to die for his own. That means providing full life, that would provide full life. We're going to see that in a minute. Two, relationship with him is the only pathway to experiencing life abundantly, life to the full. There is no other pathway. He's the gate, he's the shepherd, he's the way. But what does an abundant life look like? It's not made up of achieving or gaining or getting. We can't make an abundant life happen. I know we're in this time, and I I laugh all the time at all the television commercials and the new cars, you know, and and somebody walks out and there's a bow on the car, and oh, you know, I've told you before, if Charlene walked out and I had a brand new Lexus sitting in the driveway with a bow on it, we would have a conversation. (laughs) Uh, And you know what? You've, You've been there. You buy something new, and there is a euphoria. It feels good. For a while, but then it wears off. You can't make abundant life happen. Abundant life is not measured in wealth or things or abilities. Abundant life, we're going to see, is found in a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to walk you through several characteristics that are found in John 10 that help us understand the words of Jesus that said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. 
A life that is, a, that is full is a life in which you and I have dignity. A life that is full is a life in which you and I have dignity. Look at verse 3 of John 10. Jesus says, The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. His sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He calls his own sheep by name. Jesus knows your name. Your name is your identity. When you are called by your name, you feel respected. When you are called by your name, you feel noticed. When you are called by your name, your worth is taken into account. Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows my name. I've told you this before when our kids worked in retail sales and they had a name tag, had their name on it, and someone would come up and say, ma'am or sir, and they would say, why don't they just call me by my name? It's right there. And, 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 and you know what? That impacted me. I always do my best to try to remember to call the person by name. And you know what? Even when that person comes up at the restaurant, hello, I'm Bill, and I'll be your server. Hey, Bill, thanks for being here today. And they come back. Is everything okay? You know what, Bill? It's great. Do you know why I do that? Because my daughter said, call us by our name, but because I want Bill to know that I notice him. I want Jane to know that I notice her. I want to give them dignity as they are serving me because I have a Lord who knows my name, and that in that I have dignity. He notices me. He notices you. We are of value to him. In verse 4, he says, When he has brought out all his own sheep, he goes ahead of them. His sheep follow him because he knows their voice. A life that is full is a life in which you and I have direction. We have direction. He goes out ahead of them. His sheep follow him. Uh, This is a word picture that should take some of us all the way back to the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He leads me beside the still waters. He leads. He guides. He directs. We have direction. A full life is a life that has direction led by Jesus. It's not a life of aimless wandering and confusion and contradictory decisions. Throughout my ministry, I've had people make crazy decisions and then make another crazy decision that contradicts the first decision. And all along, they say, well, the Lord told me to do this. And I'm thinking, wow, the God you worship is really confused. My my God's not that confused. Maybe you just decided to do this and you want to blame him. It's, It's not a life of that. It's a life of purpose, even in the little things. In those little moments, those little decisions we make that we think are inconsequential, yet God uses them. I had almost forgotten about it. An individual who serves as this church, who served us uh, for 27 years, I know because I met him my first month here. He's retiring. We were in the kitchen the other day as he was making a delivery and introduced me to the new delivery person. 
And he said, you know, the first time I, early on when I met you, I told you my father died. And do you remember what you did? I hope it was good. <laughs> he said, you prayed for me right here in this kitchen, and I will never forget that. Wow. I, it's, I didn't do that thinking, I bet you he's going to remember this 27 years from now. It was the, it was the thing that God put in my heart at the moment. And, and God says, Jesus says, they, they follow me because they know my voice. I would encourage you in the midst of the many voices we have, the loud voices in our culture, the loud voices in the media, the loud voices sometimes in our families, the loud voices out there, make it a priority to say, God, I want to know your voice. I want to know your voice. I want to learn to listen to your voice. Because when Jesus speaks into your life, he gives you direction. Let me give you a simple example of that. I had a whole different direction I was going to go in this sermon. I had it all lined out. It was going to be this passage, but I, was, I had a whole lot of ways I was going to go. And sometime last week, it's, it's, it's one of these things, I don't get it. I, I wake up sometimes at 3 in the morning. Why 3 in the morning? I don't know. Why? That's the bit, but it's often a time to pray. But the other morning, I woke up at 3 in the morning, and I'm laying there, and I said, God, I just want to listen. And the thought came to my mind, Scott, why are you not doing what you've taught on Wednesday nights? On Wednesday night, I've told everybody, use the tools you have. Look in the passage. Let the passage speak to you. Let, start in the context. And the voice in my the spirit was saying, Scott, all the answers to what it means to have a full life that you need to deal with are right there in John chapter 10. Don't go anywhere else. So I went back and I dug in. And that was the, that's the second one that I did. It's just I have direction. That voice, I believe that was the Holy Spirit speaking to me, guiding me. And it's a growing relationship as we learn to recognize the voice of God in our lives. But He is speaking. A full life. A full life is a life in which you and I have worth, value. Look at John chapter 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says it again in verse 17. He says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from the father. Jesus reminds us, I lay down my life for the sheep. And he makes it very clear, it's my choice. Think about that. He chose to do this. Have you ever known anybody to sacrifice something for you? Have you ever known anybody to do something for you? It may have been as simple as you were down, you were out, you had no energy, and they brought a meal. And it just made you feel like, wow, I'm important to that person. It may have been that they, you had a, a, just having a moment of need and they, they just stayed with you. They, may have just, they just showed up. When someone does something for you or for me on their own initiative simply because they love you and you know it costs them time or effort or energy or maybe even a little bit of money, you feel valued by that person. 
you feel worthy. You feel that you are worth something. And look at Jesus. He says, I lay down my life for you. Nobody takes it from me. I lay it down. In Christ, you and I have worth. We have value. A life that is full is a life in which you and I are known. Look at verse 14. Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. He reiterates that again in verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. The idea of know here is more than know about. It's the idea of having an intimate knowledge of another person. It's that knowledge you have when you've been in a relationship with someone that you know how they think. You know how they're going to respond. You know who they are. You know them. And our Lord says, I have a deep understanding of you. I have a deep understanding of of what makes you work. I want you to have a relationship with me because I understand you. I know you. What a comfort. When I'm feeling most forgotten... Jesus hasn't forgotten me. When I'm feeling most alone, I'm still known. When I feel invisible, I am always visible to Him. That is life to the full. We can talk about putting our trust in Jesus, and we should, but this is a deeper level of trust. It's a deep level of trust to let someone see who you really are, to let someone see who you are, warts and all, and Jesus knows that about us, and he sees us as we really are, and yet he loves us anyway. Putting your trust in Jesus is trusting him to see you as you really are and believing that that's not going to turn his love away. When you and I live a life to the full, it's a life in which you and I belong. Look at verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Now in the context, Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience. They were there. They were celebrating Hanukkah. They were at the feast of de- the festival of dedication. And, and so he was telling them that. And as we've already mentioned, they had already heard reading from Ezekiel 34 that, that would have, they would have said that applies to us only. God's going to tend his shepherd, his sheep. We're his sheep. But Jesus is laying a foundation here. He's already looking beyond that moment to a time when more people who were not Jewish converts or were not Jewish by nature or by birth would come to know him too. And and I always like to keep it simple. There's a lot of interpretations of this verse, but I think he's talking about the broader group of humanity that would all be blessed through Abraham because the promise was through Abraham all nations will be blessed. Jesus is talking about everyone who follows him. He's talking about you and me. When you and I come to faith in Jesus, we belong. The song we sing every now and then, hallelujah, I belong here in your presence, safe and secure. 
I think a lot of us can know what that feeling about not belonging feels like. We, we've been in those places where we didn't feel we belonged. It was awkward. It was uncomfortable. It, it made us feel like we wanted to kind of just find, find the nearest exit and, and make a, a quick exit. We've been there. What a contrast to being and feeling that you belong, that you're wanted, that you're accepted, that you're welcome, that you're appreciated. In Jesus, you and I always belong. We're always safe. We're always secure. That's abundant life. A life that is a full life is a life in which you and I have a future. Look at verse 28. I'll pick it up in verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. None of us know what tomorrow holds. None of us know what this afternoon holds. We cannot predict the future. God holds the future in his hands, and it's the future he wants us to have. And yes, on the one hand, there's the future of eternal life, and that's what he says here, eternal life, and and that future is there. But there's also a future in the now, in the life we live right now. And if we just think it's only about what's out there someday far away, then we miss the fact that our steps right now are in his hands if we choose to let him direct. As a 19-year-old kid in the fall of 1978, I found myself in a room. It was a language learning lab. And in the room, we all were sitting in little cubicles. We had headphones on. There was a microphone and we all had a stack of newsprint, of, of news copy from coming off the AP wire. And uh, so we just grabbed a stack, we went and sat, and we just began to read. And uh, the uh, teacher was one of the voices of WMBI, WMBI-FM, where there's hope for you and your family. And uh, so he was listening as we read. You could hear kind of the click when he came in and listened, and he would go around. And he, so he listened to all of us, and then he came back around, and he gave some words of, Correction or direction? I heard the click. Scott, you have a great voice. And you have a good diction. You have a very smooth delivery. You have a bright future in this industry. Click. He went on. Boom. Future secure. Plans I had set in motion, the very reason I had come to major in communications at Moody Bible Institute, they were on the way. The green light was there. God was telling me I would be the next Walter Cronkite. God was telling me I would be the next Dan Rather. I would be the next, uh, nowadays, Lester Holt. I I was headed for it. But God had a different plan and a different future. And now I look back on it, and I know it was a better future. You know, the, the old say, the saying is, we don't, you don't know what you don't know. And I tell you, we look back on our lives, and we say, boy, I wish I knew then what I knew now. I would have made different decisions. But God was making decisions. See, 
Now I know, I didn't know at the time, but now I know that to move anywhere in the media industry, move is the operative term. You go back and you look at different people and you look at their pedigree and they were two years in this station and two years here and three years here and five years here until they got to quote unquote the big time. Uh, I now know, looking back, and I actually had the opportunity to meet an individual who was big in the Chicago rock scene years ago who eventually came to know Christ. And I realized the temptations and frustrations that came with being known about just on the air, but not really known. I didn't, at that moment, want to know the other plans God had for me. I didn't want to listen to the other plans. But God was directing because God had a future in mind for me that was the best future. And when you and I follow Jesus, we have a future not just for the life to come. We have a future for this life. And we learn to listen to his voice and we learn to follow him. He guides us on the future he has for us and it's always best. But we have to choose to follow. A life that is an abundant life is a life that in which you and I are safe. It's a life which you and I are safe. Look at verse 29. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I've already alluded to this, but I want to finish with the idea. There is safety in the presence of Jesus. Safety for our soul. Safety for our spiritual and emotional well-being. Safety that, it's, it's a safety that God can keep. You know, think about it. You and I, we make promises all the time. Promises that we're not able to keep, but we hope we can. Promises that go like this. I just want you to know, whenever you need me, I will always be there for you. That's a great sentiment. It's meant sincerely. It comes from the heart. It, it is something that the person that says it isn't being flippant. They really care. I really, I'm going to be there for you. But you and I can't always make that happen. We don't control the circumstances. We don't control everything that happens. We don't control the choices of others. Life is full of moving parts. But God is in control. And, and Jesus reminds us that no one can take us away from the Father. The Father has promised us that we are always safe, always secure in Him. So if nobody can take us away from the Father, they can't take us away from Jesus. But don't hear me say, don't hear me say that nothing hard or bad, or painful will ever come your way. That's not true. Life is hard. Life is painful. Life is disappointing. And the point is that in the midst of my disappointment and my pain and my struggle, that God says, I know it hurts, but I am there for you, and you are safe in me. And we can get through this. Your soul 
the depth of who you are, your identity is safe in God's hands. He is not going anywhere. He is able to say he will be there. And he can say he is with you always. Life after the manger, it's full. It's abundant. It's satisfying. It's meaningful. It's purposeful. But only we only experience that when we first put our faith in the one who made the decision in eternity past to give up for a time all of the glory, all of the magnificence of heaven and to step into the womb and to go through the birth canal and to grow as a young boy in a, in a town that was oppressed by Roman invaders to grow up and to be looked upon as someone who was not worthy because he didn't have the right education, the right pedigree, the right parents, the right heritage. And yet, he came for us. He came to a couple that only had a manger to lay him in. He came to a couple that was so poor they had to appeal to the grace of the law and instead of bringing a lamb to sacrifice for their first son, they had to bring two turtle doves, two small birds. He, he worked a manual labor. He did it for you and for me. And it's when we put our faith in the one who became like us so that he could help us, that we experience the abundance of relationship with Jesus. When we walk through the gate, as it were, and choose to believe that he is God the Son, that he really did die on the cross for our sins, that he really did raise again on the third day, that he really does invite us to come to him and find rest for our souls, then we find abundance and strength for today. The manger's great. I love the manger. I love Christmas. I love all the stories. I love the scenes that give us a warm, peaceful feeling. I love hearing all the stories that just bring a smile to your face and maybe a tear to your eye. But the life lived after the manger in relationship with Jesus is the life that is full and so much better. Jesus did not come just to give us his life. He came to give us abundant life. And I hope we each know him. Father, thank you for your word this morning. And even with this pastor not pushing the right buttons on the uh, Facebook Live, we were able to correct it and get the word out. Thank you for that. Thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for making us safe and secure. Thank you for the manger that led to the cross that brought us eternal life. I hope today that we renew our promise to follow you and to listen to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen.